This is Dave Chang. And Chris Ying. We are the hosts of Recipe Club. You may have listened to it before, but we are now back on the air, new and improved, with the same hosts that lose every week. I still don't know what the rules are because they've changed as well. Chris, can you give a quick rundown? Every week, we debate the best way to cook the things you want to eat. We take a user, listener, submitted recipe, and we all cook it with our friends, Priya Krishna, Rachel Kong, Brian Ford, and John DeBerry. And then we talk about what went right and what went wrong. No, I actually really don't want to do this podcast. (laughs) And they are hardly our friends. They are enemies. They are enemies. It's Dave's civil disobedience. If you want to see Dave Chang in an act of civil disobedience, tune into Recipe Club where he will not follow the recipe. I'm contractually obligated (laughs) to make this podcast. (laughs) But I'm here to have a good time. So listen to Recipe Club every week on the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. The people at KPMG make the difference for their clients talented teams leveraging the right technology to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity. KPMG teams together with their clients working shoulder to shoulder to help grow and transform their enterprise. Are you ready to make the difference together? Go to visit.kpmg.us backslash transformation to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Canva. Better presentations are possible. You just need Canva presentations. With it, you can easily and quickly make stunning slides. All you have to do is start with one of Canva's professionally designed templates or generate slides with AI. Then add graphs, charts, and more from the massive media library, and you're done. It's that simple. I always think that the best use of AI in work is it does the thing that you naturally aren't very good at. And personally, one thing I'm really terrible at is making visual presentations. I'm not very visually inclined. I'm not good at picking out you know, photographs or abstract conceptual images to go with ideas I'm trying to put forward in presentations. So it's kind of nice to have an AI-powered tool that can help me make these presentations in literally seconds. Nail your next work presentation with Canva presentations at canva.com, designed for work. Today, we're going to talk about a sociological mystery, which is the epidemic of antisocial behavior that is sweeping this country. You saw it at the Oscars, Will Smith smacking Chris Rock in the face. You see it in viral videos of people losing their minds about mask rules on airplanes. You see it at school where violence is up and shootings have spiked in the last year. You see it in hospitals, where there's been an increase in attacks on healthcare workers. You see it in sports. From the Washington Post, December 18 of last year, quote, over the past year alone, alleged incidences of abuse by fans have been reported in California, Tennessee, Michigan, Vermont, Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Oklahoma, Maryland, and New York. And some longtime stakeholders in high school sports agree the behavior among students in the stands has never been worse, end quote. You see it in crime. Homicides rose by a record rate in 2020 after years of decline. You see it in the air. Early 2021 saw the highest ever number of what the FAA calls unruly passenger incidents, that is people acting like a jerk to flight attendants. And you see it on the ground. Pedestrian fatalities and traffic fatalities both increased by a record pace last year. What is going on? What is going on? Why did America suddenly decide to lose its mind? Now, today's guest, today's tour of the new American Berserk is Olga Kazan. 
Olga is a staff writer at The Atlantic who collected all these statistics and more and talked to a bunch of experts, psychologists, sociologists in a recent viral essay for The Atlantic called Why People Are Acting So Weird. So no, it's not just you. Americans really are losing it. And we're going to tell you why. I'm Derek Thompson. This is Plain English. Olga Kazan, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Olga, so as you wrote in The Atlantic, Americans are kind of losing their minds. All sorts of antisocial behavior are on the rise. And I want to start with the most significant antisocial behavior that is on the rise, and that is violent crime. What is the evidence we have that violent crime is rising? Yeah, so in 2020, um, the murder rate actually rose by nearly a third, which is the largest increase on record. Um, and there was a smaller increase in 2021, but it, it still did go up. Um, and actually, aggravated assaults are also up, which is sort of like the most common form of violent crime. Um, those also increased in, in 2020. Uh, car thefts uh, spiked 14% last year. Um, and a lot of cities have seen uh, carjackings, which is like where someone like takes your car from you, uh, you know, while you're sitting in it, uh, which um, is, you know, really scary and is, is another form of, I would say, violent crime. So car thefts, when a car is being stolen and you're not in the car, those are up. Carjackings, the car is being stolen when you start off in the car, those are up. Assaults are up and homicides are up. Um, a bit of history here. In the last half century, there's sort of been three distinct periods of violent crime trends. Sort of act one of this story is that violence was surging in the U.S. between the 1960s, the 1990s. Then you have act two, which is that violence has been declining in America since the 1990s, or at least from 1990 to about 2014. And then you have act three, and that is the act we're in right now. Violence has stopped declining. It started to slowly rise in 2014, 15, 16. And then in 2020, as you said, it absolutely surged to the highest by the highest rate on record. What are some reasons why violent crime might be surging now? Yeah, well, one uh, pretty obvious reason is just gun sales. Um, gun sales really spiked in 2020 and in 2021. Um, and more people are being killed with guns. Um, so in 2020, police recovered uh, twice as many guns within a year of purchase as they did uh, in 2019. And that's, um, it, this is, was new to me, but that's called like a short uh, time to crime window, um, which suggests that someone bought the gun and then kind of immediately used it in a crime. Um, so uh, one reason why we're seeing kind of more violent crime is that is that more people are buying guns uh, and using them. Uh, last year, I spoke to Patrick Sharkey, a professor at Princeton who studies violent crime. Uh, I think you have either spoken to Patrick maybe or, or read some of his work. And I want to read you what he told me in an interview and get your reaction to it. This, again, is Professor Patrick Sharkey uh, speaking about one year ago about the rise in 2020. Quote, in 2020, everyday patterns of life broke down. Schools shut down. Young people were on their own. There was widespread sense of a crisis and a surge in gun ownership. Olga, to your point. 
Continuing with Patrick, people stopped making their way to institutions that they know and where they spend their time. And that type of destabilization is what creates the conditions for violence to emerge, end quote. This is going to be a theme, I think, of our episode, destabilization. People's behavior is aberrant right now because their lives are aberrant. The headline of your great piece is, why are people acting so weird? Well, we're acting weird because the world got weird. What else do you think might have contributed to the rise of of violent crime in addition to gun sales? Because, you know, you're absolutely right, I think, that you have more guns, you have more homicides. That seems like a clear, uh, at least correlative relationship. But you also have more car theft. You have more carjackings. Um, what else is happening in a sort of social stew that is causing all sorts of these violent, aberrant behaviors to rise? Yeah, I mean, so the, we don't... no, right? But one criminologist that I talked to, Richard Rosenfeld, pointed out that um, in some places during the pandemic, police arrested fewer people. Um, And so a lot of criminologists think that when um, police are kind of less visible or less present, um, people kind of tend to uh, commit more crimes because you kind of can. Um, uh, So that's one possible explanation. Another is that um, teenagers actually commit a lot of crimes uh, and uh, teenagers have not really had anything to do for the past couple of years. Um, they've been sort of unsupervised, uh, you know, not not really in physical school for, for part of the pandemic. Um, a lot of after school activities have been canceled. Um, you know, maybe they weren't able to work summer jobs because of COVID issues. Um, and unfortunately, like what you see is that a lot of teenagers with nothing to do tend to make really poor choices. And not just teens, right? I, I think that 20-somethings, 30-somethings, 40-somethings, when their time is unstructured, when they are in a stressful environment and their time isn't rigorously rigorously structured, uh, they can tend to act out. They can tend to act in ways that are weirder and and cause more social harm. Um, I mean, if this were just violent crime, if it were only carjackings and homicides that were increasing, then I think that people, not like you are saying this, but people could say this is just about policing behavior. This is just about criminology. But it's not just violent crime that's increasing. Like Americans are going a little bit nuts in like every single way a person can go a little bit nuts. And some of this we have really clear data on. And some of it is more of a vibe thing. And we're gonna talk about both the hard data and the vibe things. So one thing we have really good data on, weirdly enough, is unruly passengers on airlines. Olga, what is going on in the skies? Yeah. So anyone who um, like opens up Twitter will probably see a viral video any day, uh, you know, that that shows like someone, uh, you know, yelling at a flight attendant about having to wear a mask or um, even actually like physically assaulting flight attendants sometimes. Um, So early 2021 saw the highest number of unruly passenger incidents ever, um, according to the FAA. Um, And most of those were uh, mask related. Um, So uh, so, yeah, people are, are absolutely losing their minds. Uh, while they're uh, getting on planes, sitting on planes, uh, and getting off planes. (laughs) It really is crazy. By by the way, have you, I I have seen all this stuff on Twitter and on Instagram or TikTok, like lots of these viral videos of, unfortunately, it does often tend to be dudes, dudes screaming at flight attendants about mask etiquette. Have you ever been on a plane where someone has acted super crazy in this way? No, I flew recently and um, someone wasn't wearing a mask and the flight attendants just decided to like let her do it, I think. Um, and I wonder if some of that is because 
like they, they don't, don't want to be deal assaulted. With it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's it's really like a you know a cost benefit analysis for them at this point. Yeah. Uh, keeping with the transportation theme, American driving has also gone berserk. What are we seeing on the roads? Yeah, so you're seeing um, a, a car car crashes going up. Um, so people have been uh, driving more recklessly, um, uh, crashing their cars more, and unfortunately killing pedestrians at higher rates. Uh, yeah, the pedestrian fatality rate spiked 21% last year. That's the highest rate on record. Overall traffic fatalities are also rising at a record pace. And here, I do think it's important to do the same contextualization thing that I did with violent crime. So I just pulled up, as I was preparing for this episode, a hundred year history of vehicular death data in America. And this tracks total deaths, deaths per million people, and deaths per million vehicle miles traveled. Uh, deaths per VPM, VMT, excuse me, is basically like how dangerous it is to be a car in, in, any, in any given minute of the year. So deaths per miles traveled, that peaked in 1920. Deaths per million people in America, that peaked in 1935. Total deaths, that peaked in 1970. So it's important to say, I think this, this data is important because I don't want listeners to think that you and I are like scaremongering here, that we're suggesting America has like never been more deadly or dangerous than it is today. It's not. Like cars, roads are safer on a per person, per miles traveled basis than they were 50 or 100 years ago. But what's important to say is we've never had a year where car accidents and pedestrian deaths increased at this rate. Is, is that right? Is, is that consistent with your research? Um, so I, I trust you on those numbers. I, I didn't have those in front of me. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, that's like all the articles about this are sort of uh, ringing the alarm bell because you don't typically tend to see uh, increases in, in car accidents uh, and pedestrian deaths. Um, uh, of this large kind of year over year. Right. We're on this sort of like 50 year to, in some of these cases, 100 year trend down sort of the long side of this mountain. And then whoop, we're suddenly seeing this really sharp, ahistorical peak of antisocial or wacky behavior. Uh, Olga, the last category of American craziness that I want to ask you about is what I'm calling all the other shit. Like the stories that we see in newspapers and social media about people acting rudely, starting crazy fights in the street maybe, say, punching celebrities at the Oscars. In the category of all the other shit, what stories of Americans acting badly jump out to you? Yeah, I mean, so this is all kind of harder to categorize and no one really tracks it consistently. But um, if you'll notice, like, uh, any school board meeting um, these days, or, you know, especially when uh, kids were still expected to mask consistently, um, there were so many of those that just devolved into screaming and yelling between parents or parents like encircling like a school board member's car and like screaming at them. Um, it just really like wild stuff. Um, there are um, uh, a lot of healthcare workers are saying that that their patients are kind of becoming more violent um, and sort of more aggressive toward them. One hospital in Missouri actually uh, planned to give their nurses panic buttons. Um, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, Wait, say more about that. Um, yeah, I guess just uh, because like like misbehavior or like whatever the aggression from patients had gotten so bad that they were. I don't know if this ever actually. I never followed up with the hospital, but they there was like this plan to give them panic buttons so that they could like alert other staff members if they were being um, you know assaulted. Um, 
Just two more kind of domains where I've seen this as um, sort of disruptive behavior among students uh, and sort of teachers kind of anecdotally reporting that uh, kids are just like uh, behaving worse than they were before the pandemic. Um, and also just since the story has come out, um, a, a lot of different kinds of people read the story and um, even some like uh, kind of beat cops uh, emailed me to say like, yeah, I actually am seeing that people are just... Um, kind of a little bit more keyed up, like in various ways, like they'll just start kind of weird uh, confrontations in the grocery line or um, that they just end up having like seeing a lot more just general aggression from people. Um, so that's all a lot harder to, I guess, like pin down because there's not like a percentage increase in aggression that anyone studies. Um, but I do feel like there are so many anecdotal stories now and so many reports from from so many different domains that um, it does seem like like something is going on. There is some sort of uh, vibe shift um, toward the, the negative side. <laughs> right. There isn't like federal data of like people being mildly asshole-ish in Trader Joe's lines, but like yeah. <laughs> people are being... Being mildly more assholeish in Trader Joe's lines. It is absolutely something that I've noticed. And I, I think that it's because like the floor of anger and fear has just been lifted. That's why people are buying more guns. That's why there's more homicide. That's why there's more carjackings and car thefts. That's why there are more, there's more drinking and more drug use. Um, maybe talk about, about that at, for at, at uh, to, to close out this section of the evidence that we're seeing. Um, you know, because I think a lot of this might be sort of directly caused by, you know, fears created by the pandemic or lockdowns. And we'll talk about that in a second. But some of it is sort of second order. Like people are feeling worse. So they're doing more drugs and they're drinking more. And the, and that itself might be causing something that we're seeing, right? Are we seeing more, more drugs and alcohol use? Yeah. So, um, so drug overdoses went up, uh, during the, the pandemic. Um, and so people often, um, consider those like deaths of despair, but, um, you know, other things that go along with drug use are things like, um, stealing, which people use to support their drug habits. Um, and also sometimes aggression, like depending on what kind of drug it is. Um, and kind of more importantly, uh, Americans have been drinking a lot more. Um, so they're, they've been drinking 14% more days a month. Um, and alcohol deaths have, have actually gone up by a quarter. Um, so, uh, you know, drinking more like, yeah, sometimes people just like stay at home and, and get drunk on bourbon and nothing happens, but sometimes they get behind the wheel of the car and they do get in some of those car crashes that I was talking about. Um, uh, or, you know, they get on a plane and like, I don't know if you've noticed, but planes have stopped serving alcohol. Um, I just so noticed <laughs> that on my last flight from California, that the person behind me asked for uh, bourbon at 11 a.m. in the morning. And my thought was, you know, on the one hand, it's a little bit early for a bourbon, but on the other hand, I think it was a Friday. So I thought, you know, maybe getting a start on the on, on, on a fun weekend. And yeah, the flight attendant said no. And there was a brief slightly agitated, but not particularly rude exchange between the passenger and the flight attendant about uh, the fact that they were not serving bourbon at that time. Yeah. So a lot of that is because people will uh, get really drunk before their flight and then they, you know, it, alcohol affects people differently, but some people do get really aggressive when they get drunk. So that's, that's kind of one of the factors here. All right. So to sum up, alcohol use is up, drug use is up, gun purchases are up, homicides, carjacking, car thefts are up. Traffic accidents are up, unruly passengers are up, assholes in lines at Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, Rite Aid, et cetera, are up. That's the evidence. That's the, that's the what. Let's talk about the why. Why is this happening? First of all, how many people 
you, you got in touch with a lot of different psychologists, academics, experts for this piece. How many different people did you talk to uh, to explain this, this poly trend that we're talking about? Yeah, so this is like not one uh, domain of research. Uh, like assholes uh, are not, there's not like an emeritus <laughs> professor of assholes. Um, so I talked to a, a dozen experts um, who kind of ranged from like criminology to psychology to just like uh, sociology to just like, I don't know, people who study vibes, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right, the, the, the general domain of vibe explanation. So tell me, uh, let's let's start at the top, your, your number one explanation. Um, where would you like to start? Yeah, so I think like one, like the most obvious and probably most general explanation for this is just that people are very stressed out and they have been stressed out for a really long time. Um, so this data comes from Christine Porath, who's a business professor at Georgetown. Um, she did these surveys. Um, she So she did a, a survey of 20,000 uh, mostly white collar employees in different industries. Um, and they said that more than uh, half of them felt stressed and overloaded. This was before the pandemic by the way. Um, and so in a separate survey, she kind of asked them, you know, when you behave rudely or uncivilly, um, why is it? Um, and uh, more than half of them said it was because they were kind of stressed and overwhelmed. Um, and then uh, more than 40% said it was because they had, quote, no time to be nice. Um, so a, a lot of people like, I like basically they get stressed out and instead of, you know, um, I'm not saying this is a good thing to do, but instead of like like popping a Xanax or taking a nap or going for a run or whatever, you kind of like pass it on. You kind of like uh, are stressed out, and so you yell at the flight attendant or you you know yell at the the Trader Joe's cashier. Um, poor Trader Joe's is like featured so prominently. <laughs> I, 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 I am, I'm criticizing out of love. I, I adore Trader Joe's, yeah. and I, I only confront uh, jerks in the Trader Joe's line because I'm there. I'm there so often. Yeah, please continue. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, but anyway, so that's that's kind of one explanation is that. Like, you know, when you think about yourself feeling like stressed or, or frustrated, you tend to act uh, in a like more short tempered way with other people. This episode is brought to you by Canva. Here's a writing tip for work. Don't just write. Use Canva Docs. It has Magic Write, a built-in AI text generator powered by OpenAI to help you create almost anything, from meeting agendas to job descriptions, marketing plans, proposals, and more. Canva is here to help you get it done. If you've used AI for work, for writing, for coming up with bullet points for a podcast, a meeting, you know that AI works best when you're specific, when you tell AI exactly what you want and then tell it again and again, help me do this, help me talk like this kind of person. The more specific you can be, the more helpful you'll find it is. Generate your draft fast with Canva Docs at canva.com, designed for work. This episode is brought to you by Workday. Get the whole band together with Workday and pair finance and HR on one platform for an epic performance. With Workday AI at the core, you'll make confident decisions faster than ever. And you'll drive flawless business and finance operations with an agile platform that constantly evolves to future-proof your organization. Be a finance and HR rock star with Workday. Visit Workday.com to learn more. This episode is brought to you by KPMG. The people at KPMG make the difference for their clients, talented teams leveraging the right technology to uncover insights that illuminate opportunity. 
KPMG teams together with their clients working shoulder to shoulder to help grow and transform their enterprise. Are you ready to make the difference together? Go to visit.kpmg.us backslash transformation to learn more. I want to hold on stress for a bit because as you said, given Christine Porras' interviews happening before the pandemic started, non-pandemic life is stressful. Everyone is always fighting their own war. Everybody has problems all the time. That's the human condition. But typically, people have a safety valve for their stress. And that safety valve is seeing family. It's seeing friends. It's going out to dinner. It's joining a buddy for a drink. It's joining a colleague for an after-work happy hour. Like for many people, family and friends are the safety valve that relieves us from the pressure cooker that is life. And one thing that has made the past few years particularly hard, I think, is that all the beautiful things in life have become more stressful. Like, let's go on vacation. Oh, well, you might, if you're flying internationally, you might have to take a COVID test within 24, 48 hours in order to make that trip. Let's go out to dinner. Oh, by the way, some people going to that dinner might not, you know, might have COVID or they, if they want to visit your house, like, are you going to rapid test them first? Like this injection of health stress into ordinarily positive social situations that are supposed to relieve us from the anxiety that is life. I think that's a huge part of it, wouldn't you say? Oh, yeah. And I mean, and I've noticed this too, with just like trying to set up, you know, even now that Omicron is sort of like receded, trying to set up drinks or, um, you know, dinner or something with a group of friends. It's like everyone has a different requirement, you know, I'm not eating inside yet. Um, okay, let's eat outside. Oh, wait, it's supposed to rain that day. Okay, so we have to like pick a new place. Okay, well, this place doesn't have... And then like, I don't know, I feel like all of those little things like kind of build up and build up. And like, I already have to like drive in. I live in the suburbs. So like drive, like find parking, you know, et cetera. And then it's like, well, now we can't even do this dinner that I drove in, you know, and I feel it myself. Like, I'm like, is this even worth it at this point? I feel like there's so many little boxes to check for every little thing you want to do. And I, and, and so, um, Keith Humphreys, um, who I talked to, a psychiatrist at Stanford said that basically these are like high stress, low reward situations where you feel like you're jumping through a ton of hoops to just do like this bare minimum thing that you want to do. Um, but it ends up being like less rewarding <laughs> because of all of the, you know, the restrictions that the, that the pandemic has placed on us. Right. And maybe therefore is worse at relieving the stress than it used to be, right? The, the, the safety valve has been broken. Like one way that I'm thinking about it, listening to you is like, you know, if you imagine all the layers of stress that exist in a typical person's life, like family can be a certain layer of stress, you know, family issues, there's work issues, there's personal health issues that have, you know, nothing to do with the pandemic. But then there's sort of like this other layer that's been introduced. And you can think of it as like pandemic logistics, like jumping through the hoops and going through like the hopscotch of, 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 being a, a responsible pandemic citizen, right? And not everyone is necessarily going through the exact same rigmarole. Some people are basically done with this thing and some people are, are very COVID cautious. But I think that layer of health logistics might for a lot of people be like the straw that breaks the camel's back. Like, right, I mean, in this metaphor, like the camel is kind behavior, but like that is the layer that becomes the little extra thing that pushes people over the top. Um, you have also written about uh, how rudeness has become its own epidemic, that rudeness, like a virus, can be contagious. So that in a weird way, if we are near rudeness or if we perceive 
rudeness. It might sort of trickle into, infect our own behavior. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think a lot of times people think like, well, why are you being, you know, if you yell at the DMV person, it's like, well, you know, they might say like, why are you being rude to me? Like, I'm just, you know, I'm like the front face of the DMV. I didn't actually make these rules about how you have to bring your birth certificate or whatever. Um, And so I think that kind of implies like that we, um, as people, like we always, uh, um, we're rational about how about our rudeness. Um, but I think what a lot of this research shows is that we're not that that you end up being rude to random people like, uh, like someone will be mean to you. And then you will be mean to a third party who has nothing to do with it. Um, just because that's like your next opportunity for social interaction. Um, so this is more research by Christine Porath, um, which is just that, uh, like people who kind of even witness rudeness end up being less likely to help other people, um, that you kind of absorb, um, meanness and incivility and you you pass it on to others um so much like uh, coronavirus <laughs> unfortunately right and this is this is an explanation of how sort of small initial changes in stress and small initial changes in rudeness could amplify like i don't want to beat the you know epidemic metaphor into the ground but like that's how epidemics metify you have an initial introduction of an extremely contagious virus to a population and because it has a high r value it reproduces very quickly right if rudeness is also contagious if bad behavior is also contagious then small like violence maybe could be contagious then small initial changes to the equilibrium can cash out as huge changes to the to the ultimate situation um i want to I want to imagine what someone more conservative than I, or maybe than you, might say here. I think one thing they would say, sort of putting on my conservative hat, is that American rudeness and wackiness is rising because the government has tried to place these draconian rules on us, and those rules are turning us against each other. So masks on airplanes. When I, Derek, see someone being a jerk about masks on an airplane, my response is, that guy's being a jerk. But to many people, masks really are dehumanizing. They are tokens of creeping government tyranny, which means that what we see is like sort of the the enemies of these viral videos screaming at flight attendants who have no power over Delta's masking policy. Like they see like 21st century Patrick Henry's. They see like freedom fighters. Like these people are fighting against government tyranny. Like I wonder whether you heard any of this, either from experts that you talked to or maybe more likely in, in the reaction to your piece, that the reason Americans are behaving so crazily right now is because a bunch of unfair, draconian, quasi-tyrannical rules have been foisted upon an innocent American population. So I I have a lot of different responses to this. So first I want to <laughs> I want to I want to preface this by saying that I have worn a mask every time I've been asked to and I still like I don't live in DC but when I go into DC I'm never sure I always put on a mask just in case cuz some places still like you to do that. So I am personally not anti-mask. However, some of the experts that I talked to um, pointed out that even though masks are important for limiting the spread of COVID, um, it is like when you only see someone's eyes, when you don't see their full face, it is harder 
to kind of see them as a full person. And it's a little bit easier to kind of uh, treat them as an avatar for whatever policy you don't like. I mean, and this is just, I mean, we know this from from Twitter or, uh, you know, any other kind of social media platform where it's so much easier to even like look at a picture of like your, you know, aunt or whatever and say like, you're dumb. Like that's, that's totally wrong. And, and type that out. You would never say that to her face. You know, it's, it's much harder to be, to be rude to people when you're like seeing their full humanity and full emotional expression. Um, so I do think that like masking, it has sort of made us all into like little robots who can kind of ignore each other's humanity a little bit better. Um, that said, like, I also heard from a lot, a lot, a lot of liberals, uh, after this article came out saying that um, the reason why people feel so comfortable being rude is because of President Trump or former President Trump, I should say. Um, So uh, that, um, you know, he kind of set the bar for like, this is how we treat each other. You know, he was obviously really combative, really rude to uh, entire groups of people. And so we kind of got this impression that um, that's totally fine. um, And that's, that's a fair way to treat other, other people. Um, But I am a little bit skeptical of that just because Trump hasn't been, president for two years. And I kind of, um, I don't know. I'm just not sure that like, uh, his impact would echo out for years after he was actually not in office. But I mean, I think it's possible. I think I agree with that. And I just offered like the strong version of the case that masks and social distancing policies are primarily responsible for this wave of craziness that we're seeing, which is an argument that I don't believe in. But an argument that is similar to that, that I think I do believe in, sort of decaf version of that argument, is that we are social beings and isolation changes us. Like, by definition, more isolation should change the behavior of social beings. Like, I wonder what you found there, just sort of the this simple, straightforward case that the pandemic and the response to the pandemic, love them or hate them, pushed people away from each other. And that after years of being socially distanced from friends and family and neighbors and others, something has changed in us that causes us to see the people around us as something a little bit less than normally human. Yeah. So, so this um, this explanation comes from Robert Sampson, um, who's a, a Harvard sociologist. Um, and so, yeah. So, I think one thing that's irrefutable is that during the pandemic, people socialized less. Uh, churches were closed, schools were closed, work was closed. Uh, you didn't go out as much. That was everyone agrees. <laughs> um, so. Uh, you know, in some ways, though, that um, isolation, you know, some people maybe enjoyed working from home, but but isolation does tend to change people. Like, we're not really meant to be um, alone quite this much. Um, and so Robert Sampson really has this theory that um, people are more likely to break the rules of society when they kind of become disconnected from society. Um, so when you are kind of off on your own, um, you know, socially distancing and like getting DoorDash and watching Netflix and not seeing anyone, you kind of start to prioritize your own personal interests over those of other people. Um, And so we might be seeing the reverberations of that in some of this behavior in that like for two years, all of us have been kind of holed up on our own, thinking about ourselves, thinking about our families. And so when we go out in public, like our first thought is, how is this going to affect me? Like what's in it for me? Um, And so you're seeing that 
play out with people kind of approaching every interaction with that sort of um, self-oriented mindset. I think it's really well put. So in summary, the three big picture explanations for the rise of American zaniness to me are number one, pandemic stress. The pandemic just necessarily and obviously introduced this layer of health stress and health logistics that didn't exist in 2019. Number two, we are social beings and social distancing has changed us. And number three, I think it was like the multiplier effect. Like pandemic stress led to more drinking and drug use and more drinking and drug use led to more American weirdness. Pandemic stress led to more rude behavior and being around more rude behavior, normalized rude behavior, and it increased overall rude behavior. Are there explanations that you initially looked into that didn't hold water, like theories for why you thought American weirdness might be increasing that turned out uh, not to uh, be supported by the experts that you spoke to? Yeah. So one thing I was wondering about is whether this was just mental illness. Um, So I had read these reports that um, people, some people who got COVID actually developed psychosis for the first time. Um, And, um, and this is true uh, that, that uh, mental health treatment has just been a lot harder to access during the pandemic. Like a lot of psychiatric hospital beds were basically just repurposed for COVID. Um, So, and if you do read some of the kind of individual instances of, um, kind of bad behavior, it does seem like the person had something going on, like delusions or um, something going on with their mental health that was like, wow, that person, it sounds like they have a severe mental illness. Um, But when I looked uh, kind of closer at this, um, so, uh, so first of all, there's like not that many people still with severe mental illnesses. It's like, it's like less than 5% of the population has schizophrenia or bipolar. Um, and past research shows that they only commit about three to 5% of violent acts. Um, and also that the people who are mentally ill and do commit violence tend to have other things going on like substance abuse or like they had a recent trauma, like they got evicted or something like that. Um, so uh, like, uh, and I talked talk to like the like psychiatrist of all psychiatrists, uh, uh, Tom Insel, who's uh, the former um, director of the NIMH, uh, who was like, you know, I think these are just assholes. And, um, you know, it's important not to conflate uh, people with mental illnesses with people who like just um, can't handle themselves in public properly. (laughs) Right. So if what we're seeing is basically an epidemic in Americans being assholes, uh, I wonder how much of this you think is is just downstream of the pandemic, which is sort of an optimistic interpretation. Like COVID deaths have been declining now for two months. COVID hospitalizations are at an all pandemic low. I am wearing masks at Safeway, but otherwise more or less living a normal life. I'm going out to restaurants. I'm seeing friends. I'm, you know, rapid testing when I think I've been exposed to someone who just recently tested positive for COVID, but otherwise basically living a normal life. How Pollyannish is it for me to say we had a viral epidemic, it created a bad behavior epidemic, but now the viral epidemic is at a lull right now. So maybe the bad behavior epidemic is going to come down too. Yeah. I mean, I really hope that that happens. Um, uh, I will say that like, there's some prognostications that there's going to be another wave soon um, of a, a new variant. So I don't like, I don't feel totally comfortable saying like the pandemic is over um, completely. I, I would say that it's, it is in like what you said, like in a lull right now. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if we're going to have another lockdown or not. I, or whatever soft shutdown, whatever you want to call it. I don't know if we're all going to go back to not, you know, eating out 
in restaurants and, and things like that. Um, the other thing that I wanted to mention is that it, it, some of this stuff takes like a while to unravel. Like, um, so uh, one of the criminologists that I talked to actually mentioned how um, murders tend to be retaliatory. Um, so let's say like, uh, like um, Jack kills Fred Um later like Fred's like brother will kill Jack's cousin. Right. Um, and so, uh, like all of that stuff takes like a while to play out. So like, even if you have this spike in murders, it kind of, um, reverberates for a while with these like retaliations and people kind of like getting, you know, revenge or whatever. Um, so I don't know. It's uh, social norms are weird. Like they take a while to solidify and then they take a while to like, melt or like, uh, you know, dissipate or, or however you want to think about it. So, so I, I do hope I am optimistic, but I am also, uh, um, a little bit, uh, worried. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think that's exactly the right place to land. I remember to take this back to, to violent crime. Um, just because I remember my conversation with Patrick Sharkey so well, and I thought this was such an interesting point. Um, he said, Derek, have you ever lived in New York city? And I said, yeah, I lived in New York city actually for about seven years. And he said, do you remember how safe you felt at 2 or 3 a.m. at night in really crowded parts of New York City? And I said, yeah, absolutely. Like when you're walking around at 2, 3 a.m. 3 at night, like it's theoretically like a dangerous hour to be out. Uh, it's very dark. It's, you know, who, who knows like how drunk people are when they're driving. But you're surrounded by people, so you feel safe. He said, yeah, so what happened was New York was dangerous and then it became safer and then more people felt like they could go out. And then people felt like they could be around people when they were out late. And so you had this beautiful cascade of socially positive behaviors that led to you feeling safe at 3 a.m. in the middle of the East Village. But that same cascade can flow negatively. If more people feel like they're not safe, then fewer people are out at 2 a.m. If fewer people are out at 2 a.m., it's easier to commit a crime. If it's easier to commit a crime, even fewer people will go out at 2 a.m. and suddenly the cascade has come all the way back down the other side. And I think you're right to point out that even if the pandemic is knocking on something wooden near me, nearing its final chapter, we just could be looking at a new equilibrium of American weirdness. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's possible. And I, yeah, and I do think that like, not just, you know, crime, but all sorts of social norms get set that way. Like the reason why a, a lot of people are rude to flight attendants is because they've seen a bunch of videos where people are being rude to flight attendants. And so it's become like this new norm that you can be rude to flight attendants. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just really hard to change that. It was, um, you know, but, but, I, I am hopeful like that, that eventually things will go back to normal. As am I. <laughs> Olga Kazan, The Atlantic, thank you so much. Plain English with Derek Thompson is produced by Devin Manzi. If you like what you hear, please follow, rate, and review us. New episode drops on Tuesday. Have a great weekend. Uh-huh.